Tonight, we're going to talk about parenting with a purpose. Sounds like a starting place, doesn't it? Parenting with a purpose. What comes to your mind when you think of parenting with a purpose? Just say it loud. Can't hear you. A goal. You have something in mind. So what kind of goal do you think of? What kind of purpose do you think of when you think of parenting with a purpose? What is the goal? Heaven. Who said that? Okay. That is certainly a goal. Anything else you think of? Okay. That is preparatory for heaven, isn't it? Because there will be no heaven without that. And what about here? We have any purposes for our children here? What do you think? You want them to be useful here? Service to the Lord? Okay. Yes, to live for Jesus. If that is happening, if we're really doing that kind of parenting with that kind of purpose, if they're ready to meet Jesus when he comes, then they'll be revealing Jesus along the way. Right? Parenting with a purpose. But now I want to ask you another question. And I, I always like to say this when I'm asking people questions. I don't ask you questions that I haven't asked myself and we haven't asked ourselves or that the Lord has not challenged us on personally. Is that fair enough? So, if these are our purposes, and they're very worthwhile purposes, then do you go through the day thinking of these purposes in your day-to-day parenting experience? That's a hard question, isn't it? (laughs) Because there are a lot of things that take up our mental space during the day. A lot of good things. But if we're going to parent with a purpose, then we need to take these goals or these motives that are in our hearts and we need to start making them a part of our daily life in practical ways, don't we? If you want to have a business, don't you have to have some kind of business plan? You can have the most wonderful business plan in the world, but if you don't start making some practical steps towards accomplishing it in real life, It'll just be a nice plan, won't it? And so it is with parenting. We need to have these purposes brought into our daily experience because without that conscious plan, it'll, it'll be a desire. And we can go through our lives saying, I sure want my child in the kingdom of heaven. Oh, he's growing up. I, I'd like to have him ready for the kingdom of heaven. He's Bigger than I am now, and I sure want him to be in the kingdom of heaven. If there's not a daily working out, a conscious working together with God for this purpose, it won't happen because the devil will see to it that it gets put off one more day. So we want to talk this evening about parenting with a purpose. When we were not cognizant, when we were not focused on keeping that purpose in the forefront of our minds, we, like many of you, just found ourselves getting through and surviving day by day. 
And it was interesting how many things would come in to take up our time. And it wasn't just all those things that other people were wanting us to do or our work commitments or responsibility or the outreach we had in the church and that responsibility. I created a lot of wasted time and opportunities because I didn't have a clear purpose in mind. It was, it was out there somewhere. Yes, we had our children, we want them to be in the kingdom of God, but we never gave it a thought. And when our children were little... Our days and my days at home with them were just chaos. We, we covered the basics, you know. But I filled that time and that space with so many other things. I used to be a recreational shopper. Have any of you been, had that illness? <laughs> I mean, just something to fill time. Because, I mean, after all, you're just at home with the children, and so you... Not really a lot to do. I mean, the home's all right. It looks pretty good. Dad's off to work, and he's not going to be home until 4 or 5 in the afternoon, and, you know, it's only 10 o'clock in the morning, and what are you going to do to fill all that space? Well, let's just go out and see what's on sale, you know, just look around or whatever. Thinking of things to do to fill time and space because the purpose was not clearly in the forefront of our mind. Well, that's how we started our parenting by default, not intentionally, but just because it wasn't a clear vision to us. So we had Allison, and we had Emily, and they were growing up, and we found out that we had a lot of challenges with two little infant and toddler that was incredible to us, how they could have such strong wills and independence and and a um, resistive spirit. Because our purpose wasn't clear. We talked about it, you know, out there somewhere or on those emotional moments. But we came to find out. And and for many years, once God brought it to the forefront of our mind in a very powerful and impactive way on a Friday evening when the chaos was put to a stop for the sacred hours of the Sabbath to enter, That evening, God began to change the direction of our parenting because the reality of coming to realize that the the, the direction we're going, our children are never going to see the kingdom of God. They're going to know their memory verses and they're going to be pretty good, but they have no Christ-likeness was a startling reality to us as parents. And we began at that night to be on our knees humbly before the Lord and asking Him to begin to change who we were and how we parented with our children. And we can go back to that very evening and, be, and at that night say, that is where a very clear direction for parenting with a purpose began. Now, we've had a lot of dips since then, but we've never lost that in our vision. Amen. It has always been there, and it continues to be there at the ages of our young people. And it's been that desire, that hope, and that purpose clear in our minds that has brought us through some of the most trying and difficult circumstances in parenting with our own children, through the most trying and difficult difficult circumstances between my husband and I in our marriage, and through some of the most trying and difficult circumstances with others and the criticism of us for the the odd ways that we were not conforming to the standards of the Christian church of today. But when we keep God 
first. And we keep the desire. Remember the opening text? One thing have I desired of the Lord, and what? That will I seek after. It is a, a very clear desire that we are focused on seeking after God. Then we begin to see incredible changes in our lives, in the lives of our children, and it has been forever in the forefront of our mind as parents. So we want to encourage you that tonight, we as parents, and most of us are parents here tonight, keep that purpose clearly before us. So here is our purpose. If you have your Bibles open to Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter and the fifth verse, here is our purpose. And this purpose continues to be opening to our hearts as our young people get older and older in their young adult lives. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. That's our purpose. Love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all of thy soul, and with all of thy might. That is our purpose in parenting. Amen. It's God's purpose for parenting us. Okay? That's his whole desire in redeeming us, is that we can be restored. Think of how God parents his children. Have you ever thought of that? What God does... Has God shown us how much he loves us? Has he? Absolutely. Absolutely. God has done all that God can do for us and continues to do that as our Father, which art in heaven. And he asks of us, in response to that, to love him with all of our heart and soul and might. And that is our purpose as parents for our children. In verse 6, he says, It shall be in thy heart. Whose heart? The parent's heart. Amen. What a terrible thing for us to try to somehow get our children to love the Lord, their God, with all their heart, and with all their soul, with all their might, while we as parents refuse to surrender to him. You know this happens? It doesn't usually happen consciously. Well, sometimes it does. But it's more of the do as I say. I don't want you... Most people who have the do as I say, not as I do theory, don't say it that way. They say it like this. I don't want you to experience the things that I went through. So I want you to do it this way. While they continue to live in their old ruts and old habits. So the first call, if we have this purpose in our hearts, is that it happens and is happening in us as parents. It shall be in our hearts. Now, as we look at verse 7, we want you to listen carefully as we read verse 7 together. And we want you to pick out two key principles for us as parents. It's a very familiar verse. But we'd like you to try to find those two key principles of parenting with a purpose. 
And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Now there were two things, two key things in those words. Do you pick them out? Teach and talk. That's one. What do we call that? What do we call it when we teach and talk? Communication. Communication. There's one of the keys. And anybody pick up the other one? Diligently. Okay. Where? Everywhere. What is that called? What is it called when we're with our children everywhere? Companionship. God is telling us that if we want to train our children to love him with their whole heart, right? Isn't that what he says? He first gives us it to us, and then he says, I want you to teach and train this, to teach it and talk of it, not theoretically, but in practical reality, day-to-day life. And he tells us how it's going to happen. I want you to communicate this to your children, good communication, and I want you to have companionship with them. Isn't that what it's saying? He's talking about a 24-7 parenting situation, isn't he? He's giving every aspect of the day and even the night here. He wants us to parent with a purpose through our companionship with our children and through communication with our young people. And then verse 8. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. Now, what does that mean? I mean, sometimes we read through the Bible, and we've read, haven't we all read this? I mean, somewhere along the line, right? Because this is one of the foundational parenting principled texts in Scripture. But that word frontlets, it means that we will bind. It's what binds that child's heart to God. That's what that frontlet does. It binds, okay? So we're binding them to God, and it's binding them to the direction in life that God would have them take. That's what it's talking about. Can I say something more on that? Mm -hmm. What it means is the picture that it paints in my mind is that this experience becomes their life. Amen. Their real life. Not the one that they have to live when mother and father are looking over their shoulder. Not the one when mother and father are sitting by them in the chair when they're little. It means that they take this on. And that can happen when they're little. They take this on. It binds their hearts to God. He becomes their God. Amen. This becomes their experience. They want to live for Jesus. They want to have their own experience with Jesus Christ. That's what these words mean. And then verse 9, it says, And thou shalt write them upon the post of thine house. And on thy gates. What does that mean? 
it becomes a real experience for them. And to me, the fact that it's posted on the post of the house and on the gate means that others who see us are see our homes and see our families are aware that the people who live here are Christians. When you put something out on that gate post or on the post of your house, it's visible to everyone around, right? Anybody who passes that way sees it. And therefore, we put the numbers of our house outside because we want them to know the number. This is the house, you know, the number of the house. We put signs. Maybe this is the Waters family so people know who lives there. God is saying to us, when this becomes a real and vital uh, personal experience, that it's posting that so it's publicly known by the experience that we have and that our children have with Jesus Christ. It's a way to testify of the power of God. So does that mean that we should get a, you know, go to a sign maker and get a big sign in bold letters that says, Christians live here. And while the sign is in big letters, when they drive by the house, everything is in disarray. The yard is a mess. Stuff is piled everywhere. But there's a big sign out front that says, Christians live here. Is that what we mean? That's what it means to put it on the post, on the gates? Brothers and sisters, what it means is that this experience becomes so much a part of our lives that the people who know us that live in that house know that we are Christians by the love of Jesus Christ. Amen. They know that we are Christians because we take care of that property in order to represent a God of order. We are Christians because we love and serve God first. And one of the first places that is exemplified is in our home, right? The inside, the outside, and our surroundings. Is that real life? It's not theoretical. It's a part of the practical Christian experience. You see, if we miss the essence of a purpose like this in parenting, if we miss this, we miss the gospel. And we miss real parenting, and we're liable to miss. If we don't start parenting with a purpose, we're liable to miss the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You want to hear those words? Amen. Do you want to see the crown of life placed upon the heads of your children? I do. It's interesting. Not only are, our, are we epistles known and read of all men, but even for people to drive by and watch how your young people are playing in the yard or watch them cutting the grass. Isn't that interesting that people, at least where we live, if they drive by our home and they see one of our children out pushing that push mower, it, it's incredible to me that when we run into people in town and they say, well, you know, well, where do you live? And we describe the location because most people don't know the name of the, the road because it didn't used to have a name for many years. Oh, yeah, we know where that is. We saw your son or your daughter out a few weeks ago mowing the lawn. 
they take note of those things. They, they see them in the garden. They watch them when they were little. They watch them play as they drive by. And, and they're happy and they're contented and they're, they're free the way children were meant to be free, free from pressures and anxieties and problems that are unnecessary for them at a young age. But we want to talk as we have the time this evening, parenting with a purpose. We want to keep very clear that through companionship and communication, is how we begin to parent with a purpose. Amen. So let's look at companionship. Companionship with them in worship. Companionship in their play. Companionship in their work. Companionship in their associations. And companionship in their real personal life. Now, this doesn't mean that we are with them constantly in all these circumstances. It wouldn't be possible. What does it mean? <laughs> it means that we as parents will be committed to take time in every one of these areas. Amen. That we invest our time, that we become their companion in these areas, that we will take time to guide and to develop them in each of these areas that we will stay in touch with them in each of these areas as they grow older and that we will evaluate how they are growing in each of these areas on a personal level. That's companionship. We wanted to share a few simple examples from the early life with our children, the middle life, and their present life. The worship time. When we begin to understand the need for parenting with a purpose, I took our little children, who were very little at that time. Allison was five, Emily was three, and Josiah was three months old. And as we began to understand this need for parenting with a purpose, when we would have worship, I would set them in my lap and worship became a time of companionship with their father. Because I was not in the home as much as Elaine, it became a time when I could be close to them and I would go through the Bible stories with them appropriate to their age and talk about those little stories. But they were in my lap. Now, they couldn't all be in my lap at the same time, but I made sure that they got their fair time. Josiah didn't, didn't know as much at three months old. <laughs> but Allison and Emily, they were in my lap, and they were hearing and seeing the pictures, hearing the story. But more than that, they were receiving my companionship. Amen. You see, we talk about bonding, you know, as a society. It doesn't matter whether you're Christian or non-Christian. They talk about bonding in that that prenatal bonding and that postnatal bonding, and, but it, it sort of fades out, doesn't it? How many people talk about bonding with our five- and six-year-olds at family worship? And right on through, there's a bonding process that should be taking place when there is real companionship. I took time with the children. I made time for the children. We all have 24 hours a day, don't we? doesn't seem like we can get enough done in 24 hours a day, does it sometimes? 
But I made a commitment as a father, again, because I wasn't spending as much time because of other responsibilities as Elaine, I made time for my children to play with them. I would stick them in the, in the bike seat, the little, you know, the little seat that you strap them into and ride, take turns. I would put them in the wagon and take them for wagon rides when they were little. Companionship to enjoy the things that they could enjoy at that level. Does that companionship show a purpose that we have? The purpose we have is to bind their hearts to us and to the Lord Jesus Christ. We took time for that companionship in work. And this is very important. Even when your children are very young, we need to teach them how to work. You know, children are happier when they have something to do than if they're left just to play and do whatever they feel like all day. Have you ever met a child who does what they feel like all day? How happy are they? (laughs) They're not very happy at all. Within moments, sometimes a short period, maybe an hour or two, you see a very unhappy, discontented child because to be left alone with no direction is not a very happy experience. We need to take that time and companionship even to teach them how to do work in useful occupation. I remember the first summer that well, Josiah just turned one, we were canning green beans, the girls and I, now six and four. And, you know, they could help me pick them and they could help me snap them and their hands were just the little size to stuff them in the jars. But here's Josiah at one years old and he wanted to help too. So I put a box of green beans on the floor, a big box, about 30 pounds of green beans. And I put a bowl, a, a, str- a colander, a strainer there, plastic one, of course. <laughs> Set them there beside the box. I don't know if we had that picture in the photo album, but we have it at home on an album. And he's sitting on the floor, and his job at one was to take the green beans from the box and put them in the colander, because, of course, I had to rinse them all before they were canned. And he was so happy. He was so contented. And he was having a great time. Now, I can tell you that there were a lot of green beans on the floor that missed the colander. But that was okay. He was a part of the family. Amen. He's learned a very valuable lesson. And after a bit of time, I turn around and look, and he's now sitting in the box with the green beans, on the green beans, you know, and trying to get them out from under and put them in the colander. But it was that bonding time. And then as he got a little older, I remember one day we were doing pears. He's probably about three or four. And how many of you have ever canned pears? Okay, you usually take the skins off, right? And even for adults, that can be quite a tedious job. So here's Tom. He wanted to help me can that day. He had a little extra time, and he wanted to have that companionship as a family. And so he has Josiah in his lap at the kitchen table with a knife in Josiah's hand and his hands over Josiah's hand, and the two of them are peeling pears together. You know, Josiah was interested in that. And all through the years, in fact, even just last week, my girls are home canning. I'm not even there. I didn't even ask them to. Just because that's something, the work ethic that we've learned in our home, the joy of doing useful labor that can be of service and benefit to others in our own home and to others who may come to our home. So we want to encourage you, even in the early years, that companionship is necessary 
in the line of work and playing with them and their associates. When they have their little friends over, oh, just don't let them go in the other room and play with the cars or play with the Legos or play with the dolls or whatever they're going to be playing. You go with them. In fact, don't go in the bedroom even. Just have them play in the living room. You sit out on the floor with them. I've met mothers who don't like playing with their children. They don't like it. And that's okay, but we can pray for God to give us a change of heart. Because our children need to see that we enjoy being with them, doing the things they like to do that are fun for them. And so God can change our heart. And you know what, mothers? We can have just as much fun pushing those matchbox cars around, crawling on our hands and knees, as we can have fun sitting on the couch reading a book. Because it's companionship when we ask God to work in our heart. Companionship in the middle years. I used to take the children with me one at a time when I went out to do real estate. You know, it's interesting. When God began to to change how we related to our children, when we started having a purpose in our mind, it made sense to have the children participate with us in everything that we could. And oh, all I can tell you, brothers and sisters, is what a blessing to watch the fruit of that over the years develop. I used to think sometimes, what good is it to waste my time playing out in the sandbox with my children? But I didn't think that for long because I saw the benefit. I saw that the more I would give to my children in whatever area it was, the more I could expect from them in this purpose, parenting with a purpose. And so there was an interesting thing that the more that we would give as parents, the more they would give back as young people. And that wasn't our intention, but that was the fruit. Elaine just gave you the example. I mean, we had no idea that they were going to go get all these boxes. How many did you do, 66 jars of green beans? Pears. Oh, sorry, pears. <laughs> That's good. I'm glad it was pears. <laughs> 66 jars of pears. That's good news. I didn't even have a part of it, but I'll be able to enjoy it when the snow is flying, Right? Elaine didn't ask them to do that. I didn't ask them to do that. They surprised us with that. Now, how do you put a price on that, brothers and sisters? That's good fruit. (laughs) It is. (laughs) Double meaning. And I praise God for that. It is sowing and reaping. And yes, we've made mistakes. We could... We should do a message sometime on mistakes. We couldn't fit them all in an hour, dear. <laughs> that would be another whole series. We've made <laughs> we lots of mistakes. Everyone. But you know, our young people are very forgiving when we give ourselves to them. Amen. Give our companionship. They give us mercy when we're willing to give. And so I would take the children with me to do real estate. And one of the things the Lord helped me to do when I took them with me is really make them my companion. Not just a... Follow them. Like a, you know, just something, a bump on the seat, if you know what I mean. <laughs> because we can become so preoccupied that they're just riding along and they're, they're just totally ignored. And the Lord called to my heart, parenting with a purpose, that I can really use this time. And I used to, to open up 
communication with them, and you know that's never ended. Now I can still have that same communication with Emily. We can just walk down the road, and it only takes about a minute for the communication to open up. What a blessing! Because I didn't just treat them like a bump on the seat and pretend they weren't there because of all the things going through my mind. I involved them. What was on their little minds at that time? That companionship is vital. So when we go back to that verse about teaching these things diligently, and of course that's talking about our companionship and communication, they go hand in hand, and actually we're illustrating both as we share just specifically about companionship. But what are we teaching them? We're teaching about them about the character of God, who cares for them, who loves them, who's there to reach out to them, to be their friend. We're teaching them about the law of God. Rather than thinking, okay, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about the law of God. So now we sit our children down, and all day long all we do rehearse is the Ten Commandments. We teach them the law of God by precept and example through common experiences in the day-to-day life. Amen. We teach them about the character of God and His love for them and why it is our greatest joy and privilege to serve Him. Some of the other things, even in the school lessons, we can take a a special interest and be their companion. Now I'm not suggesting that we help them figure out all the answers, we do the lessons for them. Oh no, they need to learn that on their own. But to look for ways to make their education interesting and have some involvement. I remember when the girls were going through the geography class and they were learning about different continents and the the climate and all these other things about those continents and the kind of people that live there and about children who would live there and how their life was, you know, what their schedule was, what their freedoms were religiously, how they ate, what they ate, how their day went, what their house would look like, what they brushed their teeth with, whether it's a bamboo stick or a real toothbrush or whatever it may be. And then after we finished the course, we went back through that section of the book again, and every other day at our meal table, we read a story from the geography book about a child from a country. And then we talked about that, and we ate what those children ate. So we ate a lot of rice. And when you eat, you know, from a child who maybe is from Africa or India in a more uh, economically suppressed country where they don't have the abundance that we have here in our country and our children actually eat like them and we read the story again, we talk about it, it's very impactive to them. teaches them to appreciate the blessings God has given and not just keep them for themselves, but we found in all of our children a desire to reach out and help other children who are less fortunate than they are in other countries and in our own community. So there are blessings in that. Companionship. As they grew older, I want to tell you about a survival outing we tried. Now, this was our children's idea with another family and their children, a survival outing. What they dreamed up is that we would go into the mountains for three days, and we're going to learn how to survive off the land. Now, it was nice. This is not Hawaii. Now, we're in this the, is, Montana. This is the mountains of Montana. We did pick a date in July, hoping that the weather would be at least decent in the mountains, because we still have snow in our mountains in July. You can still see the snow peaks on the mountains if it's been a heavy snow year in the winter. And so here we are, we're planning this great weekend 
It, I think we started on July the 8th. And all we could take with us, this was the children's decision, these young people, youth, early teens, okay? What we could take with us was a fanny pack. You could put anything in that fanny pack you wanted. Well, let me tell you, mother went out and bought a bigger fanny pack. <laughs> That's the truth. Because <laughs> I wanted a little extra. Because in my personality, the thought of being gone from home for three days and, and hiking and sleeping and wearing the same clothes for three days was not very appealing to me. That was the first problem I had. It's interesting. I never thought of that. <laughs> never, never occurred to me that that would be an issue. But I tell you, I didn't put any extra clothes in that fanny pack. I put a little things, you know, and this was a good lesson for us. Preparation. Are we really prepared for what's ahead? Because people never plan to get lost, do they? And we hear from time to time about children get lost or even 20-year-olds who get lost on a hike somewhere out in some national park and for days they're lost. Do they know how to survive? So we each had a little survival book that gave us all the edible plants that we could find and also list the poisonous ones so we would know not what to pick. But we were going to live out there for three days and we were going to sleep on the ground. We had no tent and no sleeping bags and I don't like rodents. And so when I go camping, I like to go camping in a tent that has all secure zippers. So then again, I had to think, okay, no tent. So I really wanted the dog. <laughs> we had Princess, our dog, and I really wanted her to sleep with me because I figured she would probably, if something came around at night, she'd smell it, you know, she'd sniff it out and take care of it. But anyway, that was a little bit of selfishness on my part. Well, anyway, this was our plan. Now, that's companionship with your children, your young people. They give them the opportunity to have ideas. Powerful experience. Very powerful. We would love to tell you the whole story. We didn't end up staying out there for three days. It's a very good, it was a very good lesson. We learned a lot of lessons, very, very practical. But the point of it is this. Our young people need to see that their parents can make time for unusual things once in a while. That's the only, you know, we aren't doing those every year, okay? Yeah. But that we'll take those and experience those and give them our companionship. You should have seen us building these... Shelters. Shelters, yes. They, the survival book showed us how we could build the shelters. Now, remember, this is survival, so we didn't have all of our good equipment. This is survival, and... And one of the little children that was with us, he said it very, very nicely. He finally said, I don't want to survive anymore. <laughs> he wanted to eat and sleep somewhere that was comfortable. And I said, I, I agree, totally. <laughs> I can say I was very thankful for this storm that came in. And for the wisdom, we let our young people decide what is, what is really the best decision to make here. I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to go back to the car and drive home. Where am I getting my own bed? I mean, a, a big storm coming in the mountains of Montana. Actually, there was still snow on the ground in places when we hiked in. And it was cold. You know, you're over 7,000 feet. And when a rainstorm comes in, it's pretty cold up there. And it just started pouring rain. And our shelters leaked like a, like a <laughs> sieve. <laughs> and we were drenched. And they decided that it's most practical it's the most safe to go home otherwise you can get hypothermia and have real problems anyway 
companionship with your young people. Look for ways to have that at all ages, as they've grown older. Just a few weeks ago, a couple months ago, I guess, I drove, I rode with Emily over eight hours to Washington to go to Spanish camp meeting. Isn't that exciting? was for Emily. Right? It was for Emily, and I was excited to go with her. I wanted to spend that time with her. Now, I had lots of things I should have been doing at home and could have been doing at home, but I wanted to spend time with her. So I got in the car, rode with her. I sat through three meetings. I, I have to confess, partway through the weekend on Sabbath, I, I did go over to the English-speaking pavilion <laughs> and heard something I could understand, but I would sit with her in the meetings and listen to a language I have no clue what they're talking about. A little bit. Yeah, I, I would pick out, you know, five or six words out of a whole presentation. Oh, I remember this word. This word. I got so excited. I said, I learned some new words at Spanish camp. And Emily says, what were they? And says, I can't remember, but I'll know them if I hear them. <laughs> <laughs> but it was the companionship, that time together. Yeah, we always have things to do, Right. There's always something to do. But as our young people grow older, they still need our companionship. They mm -hmm. need it because we want to what? Teach them the ways of God and bind it upon their hearts in every aspect of the day. It does take time. But you know, one of the things, and I've said this to my family, one of the things that I won't have to regret if I lose my children or one of my children, I won't regret the decisions that I've made to take time to be a companion to my children. Because I can't remember the things that were on my desk that particular day when I laid them aside because my desk has stuff on it every day. I don't run out of things to do in this ministry. And I don't think I ever will. So we have to learn to say yes to our young people. That doesn't mean, and you could ask them, does that mean we every day is just, no. This is taking time to do special things, to plan things together. It takes time, and it's worth that time. So companionship. And now we want to talk about communication. You see, communication is directly linked to companionship. Did you know that? Ask a woman... I do a lot of uh, marriage counseling, a lot of telephone counseling. You ask a woman how apt she is to communicate openly and freely with her husband if he has no time for companionship with her. None. Not very open communication. So companionship actually nurtures communication. There's a direct link. It's actually a spontaneous response to companionship. The more time we spend together with our young people, the more spontaneous trust develops for communication together. So the quiet message that comes through companionship is, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's the example we have from our Heavenly Father. Through Christ, he says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's the message that comes through companionship. I will be there for you. And that opens communication between us and our young people. I want to share an experience I had when I was a brand new mother. 
just had Allison, my first child, totally green at all of the things that mothers are supposed to do with children, newborns, infants, and my mother came to spend time with me. And it was interesting. I came home from the hospital, brought Allison home, and she's there to help me. You know, you don't feel very good, and you've been up all night, and you haven't had much sleep for days. And uh, she would take Allison, and I noticed something right away. She was comfortable, not only comfortable with her, but she talked to her. Here, my mother is holding Allison, and she's giving her a bath, and she's telling her what she's doing. This is a three-day-old child. She's talking to her. Grandma's going to wash your toes, and she's telling her what she's going to do, and she talks to her when she changes her diaper, and she talks to her when she holds her, and I am sitting in amazement because I'm holding my child for the previous two days in the hospital, nursing her, holding her, loving her, but hardly saying a word to her because she doesn't understand. I learned something very valuable about communication. And what it does, it first teaches us as parents to begin to reach out to our children and talk with them so that as they grow up, they're very used to us communicating with them from the very simple and as they grow older to the very complex things. Amen. I was so thankful. I can remember asking my mother, how come you're talking to her? <laughs> well, honey, she needs to know what we're doing. And it just flowed from her so easy. Now, I was the last of three children, and at that age, of course, I never remembered my mother talking to me. So I didn't see, ever see that example, except she came to be with me. And I know other mothers who, like me, without an example, would go through the caring of their infant, the diapers, the feedings, the cleanings, the nappings, the burpings, and everything that goes with infancy and hardly ever speak a word to their child. We need to communicate as soon as possible. In fact, even in the womb, actually we can. We know from the biblical example mm -hmm. with Elizabeth and Mary and how they communicated. But more importantly for us, Wherever we find ourselves, if we missed it in those first days or weeks of life, and now they're four or five, let's start communicating now. And if we've missed it there, wherever we find ourselves, let's start just communicating about regular things with our children so that we develop the habit of being open and sharing and talking about simple things, easy things, basic things, and then we build from that to the more the larger things or the more difficult things. And it's through this process that we fulfill the purpose for our children, the purpose of parenting. When thou risest, when thou sittest, when thou walkest, when thou liest down, in every part of their day, we have access to their hearts because they're used to communicating with us. We have access to them. We can talk to them about all the difficulties, the perplexities that they face as they grow older. Because they're used to talking to us, they're used to opening their hearts to us, because through companionship, communication has opened up, and we maintain that communication. What do we communicate about? Well, <laughs> we need to be able to communicate about everything that is age-appropriate. 
Amen. Everything. I, I have heard, and I heard someone recently say, you know, many young people today are having things communicated to them that are not appropriate for their minds. They don't have the maturity. They don't have the understanding. They don't have the emotional stability. So I'm talking about communicating about everything that meets them in their lives for where they are, if they're five years old, or if they're 15 years old, or if they're in their early 20s. That's age appropriate. We need to be able to communicate with them on the basis of Philippians 4.13. Okay? Whatsoever things are true, honest, lovely, of a good report, think on these things. Talk about these things. That doesn't mean that we don't ever talk about anything that is sad. It doesn't mean that we don't talk about something that's perplexing or difficult. Because that idea of, of a good report... That doesn't mean that every piece of communication that we have has to be positive communication in the sense that nothing ever is discussed that's negative. It means that when we communicate about negative things, we communicate in such a way that we are always looking for the solution in the situation, not to be complaining or irritated or just leaving the negative focus. Amen. So some simple things to communicate about. How about the idea of going to the lake for the afternoon? I mean, that's a fun thing to talk about, right? And many families can, can be spontaneous or they can, plan, they, they can plan a trip to the lake. Okay, let's go to the lake. And that's, they all agree, and that's where communication stops. And you know what happens before they get to the lake? There's contention. There's misunderstandings. There's maybe frustration. Why? Because the concept of going to the lake in that communication, the idea is there, but the plan has not been communicated about it, how it will be executed harmoniously. You understand? So we can have the idea, oh, let's go to the lake, and everybody loves the idea. And mother's standing in the kitchen. She's trying to get the picnic ready. She's doing this and this and this. And father's wondering how come nobody's, you know, she's not ready and what's taking her so long. And she's trying to do all these things because the communication stopped after the idea was presented. Communication needs to include not just the idea, but the execution of that idea for everybody in the family. Okay? Who would like to help mother fix the picnic? Who would like to help father get the canoe gear ready in the van? Who would like to make sure that we have all the beach towels and the sunscreen in the car? So then everybody has a responsibility, a part, an active role in preparing for that lake outing. And we find that, first of all, we're ready quicker and we're ready with more cheerful hearts. And we go together in harmony to have a good time instead of irritation. Now there's a contentious spirit on the way to the lake. And the lake outing isn't fun at all because the communication wasn't complete. So when you communicate, even about fun things, look to make that communication complete so that everyone has a clear understanding of the expectations, how we cooperate together, and then how we can enjoy working together to get it done quickly so we have more time at the lake. 
So what about the hard things? There needs to be complete communication or comprehensive communication in the hard things. When my mother was dying of cancer, that was a hard thing for all of us. Grandma was dying. And how do we talk about, how do we communicate about the dying process to children of different ages? Well, the first thing that I felt the need to do was explore their need to know. You understand? Explore their need to know. Because one child might not need to know as much as the oldest child. Okay? Explore their need. In other words, don't sit them all down on the couch and give them a generic description. Now, you might be able to do that, and we did some of that, but you don't want to say some of the things to the youngest that you might need to say to the oldest about grandma's death process, the dying process. So explore their need to know. Be willing to sit down and help them understand what to expect. Help them realize that they need to communicate with grandmother about things that they want to say personally. Don't leave them in a position where when grandmother dies, they say, oh, I didn't get a chance to tell grandma that I loved her. Don't leave them in that position. Communicate with them. And then help them find the balance between a faith that believes that God has the same miracle working power today as he did in all those stories you've been reading to your children. But help them understand a faith that is willing to accept the will of God if it doesn't go the way of a healing. We need to talk to our young people about these things. Who will talk to them if we don't talk to them through that process? Many young people today, and this is just a simple example of a difficult area to discuss, but many young people today grow up and the communication in their family is so poor that they don't get many things resolved. And so they turn to other young people who are not able to communicate those needs to them. And they get the wrong answers. They get the wrong understanding. We need to make time to communicate with these young people. You know, one of the hardest things that we need to communicate about is cause and effect. Why is it hard? I'll tell you why it's hard. Because some of the causes come back to father and mother. And some of the things that we find in the young people have to go to the root. Lay the axe to the root. We need to be able to communicate about cause and effect. You know there's a cause and effect relationship in every transaction of life. And if we have an effect, and if that effect keeps happening over and over in our family, it's time to say, what is the cause? Let's sit down together and find out what is the cause, because if we don't deal with the cause, we'll never get to the real solution. Amen. And the effect will grow. So we need to be able to work through the cause and effect relationship in our communication. And then we need to evaluate 
evaluation is very much a part of parenting with a purpose. And I believe that's why God in Deuteronomy tells us that we need to be teaching and training and talking of these things with our children through all aspects of the day. And then we evaluate the understanding that they have through the common things of life. We evaluate the outcome of our communication, of our companionship, of their hearts seeking the Lord to honor Him with all their heart, soul, and might to love them with their whole heart. We evaluate that process through the little things of the day, their household chores, their attitudes, how complete they do them. We evaluate them in their school lessons. We evaluate them by the attitudes that they have in, the day, in their day-to-day activities. We evaluate them through their conduct, through their devotions, take an interest in their personal devotions. We have the family worship. But evaluate that relationship with God through your child's devotional life personally and evaluate that through their associations. Evaluation is very important. We can do a lot of things, but unless we take time to evaluate to see if we need to adjust the course and be stronger or more tender in certain areas, we can only do that through evaluation. Jesus said, by their fruit, ye shall know them. If we see good fruit in these areas, if we see a willing, helpful hand in the household responsibilities, if we see an attitude that is either a good attitude or is willing to be an adjusted attitude by the grace of God. If we see good, good fruit, let's continue on with the things that we're doing. If we see bad fruit, then let's sit down and communicate together and talk about where we're going wrong, where we need to fill in the breach. Because if we're going to have parenting with a purpose, we need to be evaluating how well we're doing in meeting that purpose. And that text that we opened with, Psalm 27.4, says, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Is it worth it, friends? Amen. Is it worth parenting with a purpose? Amen. Is it worth sitting down? You know, and I want to just challenge all of you tonight one of the best things you can do is sit down together and write out what your goals are. What is your purpose in your home? And talk about those goals. Think about those goals. Talk about the purposes and talk about how you're going to accomplish it. Hearing this isn't going to be enough. You need to sit down and get some paper and pencil and start writing together about what we want to see accomplished in our home. And we'd like to close uh, with a song that's become very special to us. It's called, What Do I Want for My Children? And it speaks to the purpose of parenting. Do I seek for the worldwide fame? 
children. And that's what we want for your children. Kevin, will you come up and close us with prayer? As my friend and brother Kevin comes up to offer prayer, as we kneel together, ask the Lord, what is the purpose you have in parenting for our family? Shall we kneel together? Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for the message tonight reminding us that every good and aim every good aim and purpose in our lives takes practical action toward it amen and lord we know that anything good in our homes will be a gift coming down from you put amen. to action by our by our cooperation with you mm. and lord i pray that you would solidify in each family here in every family uh, that have listened or are listening or will listen to this message, that, that this purpose will be very clear for their family. And that by your grace, Lord, that you would help us to live every part of every day with the thought of that purpose in mind. Amen. When we play, when we work, when we get up, when we lay down, when we sit down, everything that it would truly be parenting with a purpose i pray all this in the name of jesus amen this media was brought to you by audioverse 
a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.